The second scripture is taken from Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 through 37 and 40 to 42. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship your God as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we all will die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. God had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramez to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all God's divisions left Egypt. Because God kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night, all the Israelites are keen to keep vigil, to honor God for the generations to come. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, God among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Loving God, for all the ways you come to us in Jesus Christ, we give you thanks. As we gather around your word, we ask that you um, quiet our busy thoughts, allow us space to take a deep breath and draw near to you, that we might be transformed so that we can bless the world you love. Amen. On Thursday night, some of us gathered for evening prayer. It's something we'll do every week in Advent on Zoom. You can join us this coming Thursday if you want to. Following deep traditions of those who have prayed in the rhythm of the day, at break of day, and midday, and then evening, we prayed a lovely liturgy from the Iona community in Scotland. The prayers of that liturgy invited us into that moment of the day when light fades and shadows lengthen and sounds are subdued. When bodies relax, minds unwind, and tiredness comes, all as God intended. We prayed together in the stillness of the night. After the first prayers, the liturgy invited us to read one of the nighttime stories of the Bible, explaining so many things happen at night, and it has always been so. I've never looked at scripture through that lens, looking for stories that happen at night. There are plenty. In the beginning, God creates the day and the night, sets in the night sky the stars and the moon and calls all creation good. And then as the story unfolds, the people encounter God day and night. We've heard the stories. 
At a critical moment in his life, Jacob wrestles with God at night or someone sent from God and gets a new name. On another night, Jacob has a dream, a vision of a ladder connecting heaven and earth, Jacob's ladder. And when Jacob wakes, he says of that night, surely God was in this place and I did not know it. Joseph of the technicolor coat has his dreams and can interpret pharaohs in the dark of the night when the rest of the world falls away, these glimpses of God. The poetry of scripture captures the breadth and depth of these night encounters, the awe. I consider the work of your hands, the moon and stars, which you have set in place. What is humankind that you are mindful of them? The quiet of the night is a space where the poets talk to God, cry out. When I was in distress, I sought God at night. I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. A holy time where they experience God's presence. By day, God directs God's love. At night, God's song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And on into the New Testament, Jesus is born into the night. Seekers come to Jesus in the night. Jesus calms the storm in the night. When the disciples are in that storm-tossed boat and think all that is lost, they wake Jesus and he says, peace, be still. And back in May, we read that story where Paul and Silas are thrown in jail, and in the middle of the night, an earthquake shakes the jail, and the prison doors swing open. So much happens at night, and it has always been so. And then, of course, there is this morning scripture, the night of all nights, the night when Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and finally, finally lets God's people go. We know that story. As Exodus opens, the people are enslaved in Egypt, worked ruthlessly, their lives made bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar. But they're numerous. So Pharaoh tries to kill the newborn male children, but two midwives intervene and birth the children anyway. One infant, Moses, is hidden away only to be found and raised by Pharaoh's daughter, then only to grow to be called to lead the enslaved people to freedom. And so Moses goes and confronts Pharaoh. Pharaoh refuses and God sends plague upon plague until at last on this night of nights, Pharaoh relents. Enough. Moses and Pharaoh up, go, take your people and leave us be. And so on that night, the people go. There's not enough time to bake bread for the journey. So they take their unleavened dough, all that they can carry, their livestock, and they go year after year in slavery, night after night. They have looked up at that starlit sky and hoped and longed for freedom. And on this night, This night of nights, scripture says, God keeps vigil. Freedom comes in the night. God keeps vigil as the people pour out of Pharaoh's city out into the freedom of the night. It's not too much of a stretch to envision enslaved peoples walking to freedom in the dark of night in our own history. African-American spirituals tell that story. Howard Thurman writes of spirituals in his book, Deep River. The spirituals rose up out of the experience of slavery. They take seriously the suffering of life. 
And at the same time, they express a hope that transcends both that hard life and even death. Thurman describes how so many spirituals sung out of the experience of an enslaved people describe life as a pilgrimage into a new reality. A new reality where this current age and its systems of oppression are judged and God's new reign opens up into freedom. Some spirituals draw explicitly on the Advent and Christmas story. There's go tell it on the mountain. When I was a seeker, I sought both night and day. I asked the Lord to help me, and he showed me the way. They look to the starlit night. There's a star in the east on Christmas morn. Rise up, shepherd, and follow. A later spiritual, follow the drinking gourd, tells a very pragmatic part of the story. It points those who are enslaved to the nighttime sky to a particular constellation, what they called the drinking gourd. It points them to the North Star as a compass in the night sky that will guide the way to freedom. That's part of the story of the Underground Railroad. That's how they found their way and how they sung their way to freedom. Photographer Dawood Bay imagines this in a series of photos that he calls Night Coming Tenderly Black. He takes his inspiration from Langston Hughes's poem, Dream Variations, in which Hughes imagines liberation achieved not in the glare of daylight, but rather under the brooding, protective cover of night. The poem goes like this, to fling my arms wide in some place of sun, to whirl and to dance till the white day is done, then rest at cool evening beneath a tall tree, night coming tenderly black like me. The Wood Bay has taken photos at night of stops and scenes along the Underground Railroad. The hidden system of paths and trails and protected places to rest along the way, dark woods in the dim light, safe houses in shadow. He envisions the path to freedom as Underground Railroad conductors and the newly freed might have experienced it. One writer says that Bay summons a time in African-American history when the journey to freedom was made largely through the shadows of the night. Did you know that in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the first things Jesus does is escape to freedom in the night? It's a story we don't often tell because of its brutality. After King Herod hears of the newborn Jesus and speaks to the Magi, the wise people, he is so threatened and so craven that he orders a genocide, seeking out all the newborn males. But scripture says that an angel comes to warn Mary and Joseph, and in the deep dark of night, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus flee to Egypt. Jesus enters into this world and all its troubles and suffering, born into poverty, loved as a part of a displaced refugee family, migrating people fleeing a government that would kill them. One of Jesus's first experiences is to enter into that suffering and flee to freedom in the night. In these sacred stories, freedom comes in the night. Notice what happens. In these night stories, there is a leveling of power. 
The powers of the world that oppress in the light of day fade as the shadows lengthen and evening falls. In the dimming of the light, the edges blur and the differentials become obscure. We hope that the oppressor sleeps as the cover of night opens up a way to freedom. Pharaoh can't give chase. Herod can't complete his killing. These sacred stories remind us of the power of the hope that comes in a starlit night. They embody the hope we turn to in Advent. They remind us that Advent hope always, always has at its heart the hope for freedom, real freedom from oppression, violence, and death. In this Advent story, for centuries, the people have been living lives of bare subsistence. At the crossroads of successive empires, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and now Rome, overarching all the tender hopes held close in their hearts, the people hope for freedom. They long for someone to come more powerful than empire, for a leader to be raised up, to take down the powers that oppress, to make a way to freedom, a way when there is no way. The Isaiah scripture we read gives voice to that hope, hope for one who will stand with the poor, with the meek of the earth, for a world where the wolf shall live with the lamb in peace and justice, they will no longer hurt. They will no longer hurt or destroy on my holy mountain. As the people stand in the suffering of their world, longing, hoping for freedom, these sacred stories remind us that God, too, keeps watch in the night. Did you notice that? Last week, we talked about how we keep watch in the night, but here in this Passover story, the people make their way to freedom, and the text says, and God kept vigil in the night, God present in the starlit night, keeping vigil until all God's children go free, until all God's children are safely home. There's a little prayer in that evening prayer liturgy that says, God, you never sleep. You never sleep. You are always awake, always watching, always willing the world and its people to turn in the right direction. God keeps vigil in the night. And then in the Passover story, God invites us to keep vigil too. It's actually a command. Because God kept vigil that night to bring the people out of Egypt on this night, God's people are to keep vigil and honor God for the generations to come, a command each year to tell and to enter into this story. My friend Meredith, one of the first people I met at seminary is a rabbi. Over the years, she has invited me to her family's Passover Seder dinner. On the first night of Passover, they keep the vigil. And they tell the story, the story of God's vigil and of the freedom that came that night. Meredith has crafted a telling of the story so that together we tell the story of God's liberating vigil then, there, and the aching need for liberation here, now. In the telling of the old story, she invites us to look around, look around out into our own world and name where people long for freedom in our day with an invitation to join that work now. We speak of those who are trafficked, enslaved in our day, 
We speak of the systems that oppress the systems of American racism that flow out of the original evil of slavery and persist to this day in housing and educational inequality, voter suppression, mass incarceration, and more. The work of dismantling that is ours to do. This year, we would likely speak of the Ukrainian people resisting the onslaught of an imperial army laying waste to the land and to their lives. In these sacred stories of God's vigil, of the freedom that comes in the night as we stand in our own world, where do you hear and see and feel the longing ache for freedom in the world? How can you, how can we join the vigil, the work that helps the world go free? At this table, we tell a night story of our own. We place it at the center of our faith, saying that on the night that Jesus died, he gathered his friends at a table, and they likely shared the story of that night or nights. They shared a meal, and Jesus took bread, my body broken for you, bread for the journey, and poured a cup, my life poured out for you. They sang a hymn and went out into the night. In the bright light of the next day, the powers will rise up and crucify him, but in the deep dawn of the third day, we discover together at the edge of an empty tomb that resurrection has come in the night. At this table, we speak of life and love stronger than any power, stronger even than death. This table points the way to freedom, the real presence of Christ in the midst of us. Friends, let's keep the vigil together.